Our Heavenly Father, we bow here in your presence. Lord, we thank you again for another day to come and worship you. We thank you, Father, for all that has been said and done in this service, and I pray that everything that is done glorifies and honors you. And I ask your guidance, your direction, as we look into your word now, open it up for us, make it become alive to us, and may our lives be forever changed. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you all be seated? You know, there in your bulletin, it tells you that we're beginning a study today on the book of Joshua. And sometimes whenever people talk about studying the Old Testament, they think of dry and boring. But I really think that you're missing out if you don't study the Old Testament. Because there's so many exciting stories and biblical truths there in the Old Testament that you're not going to find elsewhere in the Bible. But not only that, there are so many practical lessons for us as believers today. This is not just uh, dead history, but these are practical lessons. So many real spiritual examples of truth that are there for us today. And we can learn a lot from the Old Testament. And um, as we begin this study today, I've entitled it A New Beginning because that's what it's really talking about. It's talking about this nation of Israel starting a new beginning And um, this can relate in many ways to all of us, and I want to invite you and encourage you to be here for this study. Um, It's one of those things where you don't want to miss because everything sort of builds on on the other. So uh, plan to be here for this series. Make the effort to get up and and come. I know that uh, we're winding summer to a close here, and it's coming to the end. If you've got a vacation schedule that you haven't taken yet, by all means, enjoy that but to make every effort to be here for this study. Let me begin. Uh, This is going to be sort of an introduction to this study. There's some things in here that you're going to need to know, uh, and I'll share those with you in a moment. But let me just give you some of the background concerning this setting, where we are with this study and how we got there um, as far as the history of it all. If you'll recall in the book of Genesis, God appeared to a, a, a man in a pagan country named Abraham, called him out and said, I want to make a great nation of you, and I'm going to use that nation to bless the other nations of the world, and I'm going to give you a a tremendous amount of land, and I'm going to bless you and be your God, and I'm going to use you to be the example to the world. And Abraham left his homeland and moved to what is now known as the land of Israel, and God said, it's all yours. And Abraham had a son, his name was Isaac, and God made the same promises to Isaac that this is your land, these are the blessings that I'm going to give you, and you will eventually, your descendants, be a blessing to the rest of the world. Now, they were looking ahead to the coming of the Messiah that would be born to Israel. And um, Isaac had uh, a son named Jacob, and Jacob then received the same blessing, the same promise. I'm giving you a real general overview here to bring you to where we are, okay? But Jacob had 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 clans or the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. It began there with them. And through a series of events in the book of Genesis, um, one of Jacob's sons was Joseph. And God brought that, uh, that group of people, the Israelites, into Egypt through a series of events. And there they stayed. Now, there was only about 70 or 75 of them at that time. But they stayed there for 430 years because God said stay. And it was God's intention to bring them into a setting where they could just be like in in an incubator. 
they're protected from other nations that might seek, come and destroy them when they're small. But as time went on, they became slaves in Egypt because Egypt was afraid of them and turned them into slaves. And it was years later that God brought Moses onto the scene. And Moses is the one that led them out of bondage in Egypt. You recall the story of Moses in the book of Genesis. And God used the great signs and the plagues that he brought upon Egypt. But it wasn't until that final plague that Pharaoh let the people go. And that was the Passover, when the firstborn of Egypt died. The blood of the lamb was spread over the doorposts of the people of Israel, and God spared them. And they were then forced out, basically, by Egypt, forced out of Egypt. And they went out with a lot of wealth and things that the Egyptians gave them just to get rid of them by that point. And they came eventually into the wilderness, and they stayed there for two years. And during that two-year period that Moses was given the law of God, the commandments of God, and he was given the Ark of the Covenant to build, and they built that. They built the tabernacle, which was basically a portable temple. All the things that they built and took care of during that two-year period, and God gave them the law. And, and then God said, now it's time to move out. And he took them up to the southern border of what is now the nation of Israel. And he said, you go in, you conquer it, and it is yours. All you have to do is go in, and I'm going to go with you, and don't you worry about a thing. Moses sent out spies into the land. The spies came back. Ten of them said we can't do it, but two said we can. Joshua and Caleb gave a good report. And God became angry because it says that every one of the Jews grumbled against the Lord and against Moses and said we will die there. Our children will die there. And God was so angry (coughs) that he said to them, then here's what I'm going to do. All of you will die in the wilderness except for your children from the age of 20 down. Those that are 20 and younger will live, but you will die. Those will be the ones I'll take into the land. And it was basically talking about the fighting men, but the Bible also says that God killed all of them that grumbled, and I think all of them, women and men too, grumbled. So for another 38 years, they wandered in the desert. So if you are 20 years of age at that point, 38 years later you go into the land, then the age, the oldest person that went into the land outside of Caleb and Joshua was 58 years old. Which may seem old to some of these guys sitting on the front row, but to people like me, that's pretty young. And so especially if you figure, you consider this fact that Joshua died at 110. 58 is not that old. When they go into the land, it's a new beginning for them. It is brand new, brand new group of people. They are ready, they are excited, and they are determined that they're not going to fail God this time. And Joshua is the one that leads them into the land of Israel. After all of this history has brought them to this point, Moses dies and God says to Joshua, you're the one that's going to take them in. The story of the book of Joshua is the story of those battles. Because they go into the land and they have to subdue the enemy. The enemy's still there, the giants, and they are. And it is a land of great wealth and and blessing, a land of milk and honey, the Bible says. The Bible says they carried a a cluster of grapes between them on a pole back to the the, uh, Moses and and so forth. Whenever they were spying out the land, they said, there's nothing like it. They couldn't even carry it, two men, one cluster of grapes. It's phenomenal. 
But they said we couldn't do it, and that was under Moses. But now under Joshua, they say, yeah, we can, and they're ready to go. Now, if you're like a lot of people, when you're studying the history of Israel and, and all of that, you begin to ask questions. First of all, you want to know why in the world does it say in the Bible that Israel is God's chosen people? What does that mean? And why is this land so important? This land is the source of so much conflict in the world today. The Palestinian and Israeli fighting over this land. And when you go over and look at it, you've got to ask yourself the question, who wants it? You know, the way it is today. But they're still fighting over it. And so we're going to talk about that for a few minutes here in a moment. But the chosen people, what does that mean? It means simply this, that from the time of Abraham, and God called Abraham, God chose the nation of Israel to be the stage upon which the great drama of redemption would be played out. God said, you are the example to the world. I'm going to show you what redemption is all about, and you then have the responsibility to take this message to the world. You're my people. You're chosen for this task, this job, this responsibility. They were to be the light of the world, the blessing. Now, as it turns out in the history of Israel, here's what happened. Cycle after cycle of disobedience and judgment. They would fall into idolatry and God would judge them. And then they would repent and come back. And then they fall into idolatry. Over and over and over again. All the way through their history of being carried off into bondage and all these things until you come to the time of Christ. And when Christ comes on the scene, what he comes into is a nation of people who are so wrapped up in their own political drama fighting against the Romans in their own religious self-righteousness that they missed the Messiah. He came, he died, he rose from the dead, and they're scratching their heads waiting for him to come, and they missed it. It's one of the saddest stories in all the Bible that after all of this, that they would have missed their own Messiah. And so the church began. Instead of leading the church into the world, Israel finds herself looking on uh, from the outside looking in, wondering where's the Messiah and what is this thing called the church. And the church then has just permeated the world and God's plan has just passed them by, but God has not forgotten them. And what God is going to do is to restore them someday in the future in faith, believing and understanding who the Messiah is, that Jesus Christ is their Savior. And this will happen. But for now, they, under, they are under the judgment of God. But our story goes back to the beginning of this great adventure. See, it goes back to the time when they've come out of Egypt, and there's several million of them now. And they're going into the land to conquer the land and take control of what God has already given them. And this is probably one of the most exciting um, stories and times in the history of Israel. Because it is a time of victory. It's a time of blessing. It's a time of defeat. And learning a lot of lessons. But yet it is one of the great stories in the Bible concerning God's faithfulness to this nation of people. And there are so many stories that we're going to talk about as we go through this. But I want to begin by looking at this one passage in Joshua. It's the first six verses of the book. Joshua 1, verses 1 through 6. And it goes like this. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. 
Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give it, I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert of Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Now notice God says, I swore this to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And 430 years have passed and all this mess has taken place. But I'm taking you into this land because I swore to them this is their land. Now you... Ask then, why is this land so important to the Jews? Because the Jews understand that covenant. They understand that this is God-given. This land is their land. It has been from the beginning. There, has been, there have been times when they have been put off of the land because of God's judgment against them. And other people have come in and taken over. It is not our job to give Israel her land. God is going to do that in the future. And what they have now is a small pittance compared to what God gave them. Let me show you this map. Uh, Flash that map up for me. It's a little bit fuzzy because we pulled it off the Internet. But let me explain it to you. Up beside the word promised land, you'll see a little brown area to the left of it. That's the nation of Israel. Um, It's represented there by that brown. The red is the boundaries of the land that God gave them. 300,000 square miles of land. That's how much God gave them. You go back into the book of Genesis, we're not going to take the time to do that, but God promised to Abraham, to Moses, and you know, to the other Isaac and Jacob as well, here's the boundaries of your land, and he gave it. He said the boundaries are going to run from the Euphrates River up in the north all the way over to the Nile in Egypt, and on down it's going to take over all this land. Now, let me explain to you some of the countries that are affected by the boundaries of what God gave to Israel. Egypt, as you can see, there's a big chunk of Egypt all the way over to the Nile that belongs to Israel by covenant with God. Saudi Arabia, the yellow there in your map, is a huge chunk of Saudi Arabia. Iraq, over half of Iraq is taken in. Kuwait, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, all of these countries are by God's covenant with Israel given to them. And someday in the future, they will possess it. The most of this 300,000 square miles that Israel has ever possessed at any one time is about 30,000 square miles, about 10%. That's all they've ever possessed. It's all that they've ever been able to conquer or take control of, even though God has given it to them. One day they will. But now they don't. Why are they fighting today? Because Israel understands the covenant that God made with their ancestors. And they understand that God gave them this land. They also understand there are people living in it that they've never been able to get rid of. From the time of this book, Joshua, until now, they have never been able to clear the people out of the land that God had given them. And it's their problem. It's their fault. But the land belongs to them by covenant with God, but the rest of the world doesn't see it that way, so there will always be conflict. There will always be fighting. 
until God returns and, and settles the issue and gives the land to the nation of Israel. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, let me explain something to you. This is very important for you to understand as we go into this series. In the Bible, you can take that map now. Now, there are things that are that are what we call types. Now, a type is simply this. Let me kind of give you a a definition of what that means. A type is like a model or a pattern or a mold. In other words, it's a it's a resemblance between something present and something past or something future. Um, it's an example, so to speak, a picture or an object lesson. It's a physical representation of a spiritual truth. An example would be this. Uh, during the time of Moses, when the Passover took place, and the angel of death came into Egypt and took the firstborn, God said to them, he said, you put the blood of the lamb over your doorposts, and I will spare that family. So all of you Jews, I'm telling you this, put the blood over the doors and you'll be spared. And so they did. The rest of Egypt, they lost the firstborn. The lamb that was sacrificed and the blood over the doorpost is a type of Christ. It's like a precursor. Something that happened before that was very tangible and visible. This signified a spiritual lesson that's yet to happen in the future or was then yet to happen in the future. That's a type. Now, the reason I'm telling you this, and this is the reason why it's so important that you understand this. <coughs> I'm so sorry. I'm coughing my head off. The reason for that is this, that in the book of Joshua, there are types all throughout it. And as a matter of fact, one of the biggest is this. When the children of Israel, the Jews, cross the, the um, Jordan River and go into the promised land. The promised land is not what most people think a picture of heaven. That's not what it is. It is a picture of the Christian life. In other words, they are passing into the promised land and it is a type of the spiritual victory in the Christian life. We'll get to this in a moment. Now, let me show you something. Down through uh, history, people have always thought and taught and believed that crossing over Jordan is synonymous with going to heaven. That it's a picture of the Christian going to heaven. Listen to some of these old hymns. Great old hymns, just bad theology. Listen to them. This one is on, on Jordan's stormy banks I stand. How many of you know that one? Yeah, I can remember singing that as a kid in the little church I went to. Let me read you a few lines out of this. It says, On Jordan's stormy banks I stand, I cast a wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my possessions lie. Then it goes on, I'm bound for the promised land, I'm bound for the promised land. Who will come and go with me? We, we all know that. And then down in verse 4 it says this, When I shall reach that happy place, I'll forever I'll be forever blessed, for I shall see my Father's face and in his bosom rest. Now, what is it doing? It's talking about Jordan, crossing the Jordan, and entering into the land of Canaan as entering into heaven. But that's not true. And how do we know it's not true? Here's the reason why. Because in the land of Canaan, when they went in under Joshua, they had to fight. 
They had to fight to get it. People died. They They were not always victorious. It's not a picture of heaven. That's not what heaven's like. That's not how the Bible portrays heaven. So what is it? Then it is a picture of the Christian going into the life that God has said is yours. Go claim it. Go claim what is yours. And I will be there with you and I will give it to you. There are hymns that go on and on. This one is, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. And in verse 3 it says this, When I tread the verge of Jordan, bid my anxious fears subside. Death of death and hell's destruction land me safe on Canaan's side. Well, in their minds they were talking about heaven. That's not what the Bible meant when it talked about in the Old Testament the land of Canaan and crossing over the Jordan, as we'll see here in a moment. There are three uh, geographical locations that Israel goes through You're going to have to give me a minute. I'm sorry. There are three geographical locations that are important to remember. Here's the first one. These are places where Israel was, and there's a spiritual significance to each one, a type, if you will. Now watch. The first one was Egypt. They are in Egypt in bondage for 430 years. Egypt represents bondage and death. There is no way that they're going to get out of there unless God helps them get out. No way. They can't do it. And so God did. And through the Passover lamb, the blood paid, covered their, their, their sins, and they come out under the leadership of Moses. Egypt represents a type of salvation. It's a picture of coming out of bondage. Now listen to me. This is a picture of redemption. For us as believers today, when Israel came out of Egypt, it was like saying, this is what God does for you spiritually. Everybody has an Egypt in their past. You understand me? Everybody has an Egypt. They come out of something where bondage is is represented. They come out of something where there was suffering and pain. (coughs) Maybe you gave, were overcome by an addiction or something, whatever it may have been. But everybody has an Egypt. And when God brought them out of Egypt, it was as if saying to the world, this is what redemption looks like. And he brought them out. And he says to you and me the same thing, because every one of you have an Egypt. A past. And he says, well, here's what I want for you. I want for you to leave it in the past. And we're going to cross over into this abundant land called the Christian life. And in this land is where you're going to fight. You're going to have spiritual battles. You're going to have victories. You're going to have defeats. But you're going to have peace. You're going to feel secure. This is where life becomes worth living. Over there. And I want to say to all of us that some, at some point we have to walk away from Egypt. You've got to leave Egypt behind. Listen to this verse. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, or sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2. This is Paul talking. He says this. 
And he's referring to this nation of Israel. He says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Here's what he's saying. He says, they came out of Egypt, and God brought them through the Red Sea, and he parted the Red Sea, and they went to the other side, and the Red Sea closed behind them, and there was no going back. (laughs) There was no going back to Egypt. And then the cloud of God's presence led them all the way, and he said it was almost like a Christian baptism. You know, we baptize people and we say to them, you're baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit because of your faith, and now walk in newness of life. Because the baptism signifies dying to Egypt. When they came through the Red Sea, God said, this is a picture of you dying to Egypt. It's behind you. And here's the problem, because even though they weren't not in Egypt any longer, Egypt was still in them. And see, this is what happens to us. We come out of Egypt, we come through the blood of Christ, and we're born again believers. But for some reason, we can't leave Egypt back over there where it's supposed to be. And we find ourselves many times living the Christian life like almost like an unbeliever. And sometimes it causes problems for us and other people. Sometimes God has to discipline us. And you see, that's what happened to them in the wilderness. Because when they were in the wilderness, it was God disciplining them. Because you see, they didn't want to go into the land when he said to go. They didn't want to obey. They were afraid. They kept thinking, you know what? We might be better off back in Egypt. And God was so angry that he disciplined them. You know what? Sometimes that's where we find ourselves. Living under God's discipline. As his children, born again believers. But we're living as if we are unbelievers. And to some degree we are. I put my faith in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and been born again into the family of God, but I have trouble believing that God's going to protect me or I have trouble believing that God's going to guide me and I have trouble believing that if I obey God, the life's going to be better. You see, the Christian life is all about transformation. It's all about change. Now, as they wandered in the desert, they didn't understand that. The Christian experience that they went through or their experiences as believers was under the judgment of God. And for 38 years they wandered and they died. But then, now listen, they go into the third location and that is into the land of Canaan under Joshua. Now we're not going to be talking about Egypt and we're not going to be talking about the wilderness experiences. We're going to be talking about moving into the land. We're going to be talking about you and me as believers putting Egypt back there where it belongs, coming out of the wilderness of God's discipline and going into the abundant life that God has called us to. We're going to talk about you and me making godly decisions and walking with God and honoring Him and respecting Him and obeying Him and watching our lives change because that's what the Christian life is all about. And this is what the story of Joshua is all about. 
is going into the land of victory and blessing. Listen to this verse. It's it's an interesting verse. It's over in chapter 5 of Joshua, so we'll get there eventually. But for right now, let me read it to you. Because it's, it's before they ever go into battle. They've crossed the Jordan, but they haven't fought anybody yet. And God says this. <coughs> he makes this statement. In verse 9, he says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is he saying? He's saying today it all changes. Today we've come through this now. We've come out of Egypt. We've gone into the wilderness. We've come out different people. And today, let me tell you, that's behind you. Now let it go. Now guys, let me tell you something. Because too many of us are living lives as though we're still living in Egypt. God is saying to Israel, put it in the past and forget about it. God doesn't care about your past. Do you understand that? This is the hardest thing for us to understand. God doesn't care. God said it's over. You have come through the waters. You have been baptized, so to speak, committed unto me. I'm I'm your father now. We're the ones that can't let go. We're the ones that still remember what we used to do and how we used to be and the way we used to live. We're the ones that still feel guilty about it. We're the ones that still let it affect us. Why? Why can't we bask in the grace of God? Why can't we live there? Because that's what he meant when he pulled these people across the Jordan and said, now go into this land. This is where you you need to be. But why can't we do that? So, yeah, Canaan is a place of struggle, but yet a place of victory. It's a place of failure, yet a place of success. It's a place of new beginnings, but it's more than anything. It's a place where you go in and you claim what God has said is already yours. The book of Ephesians, Paul says, this is who you are. This is who you are. When you go into the land, this is the type now, the picture. When you go into the land, you're claiming who you are. And that's what the Christian life is. Stop believing the lies of Satan and start believing God and start walking into the land and experiencing victory because that's what God wants. And that's where God wants you to be. So what are we going to learn? Very quickly, let me just share with you some of the things, the highlights of what we're going to be looking at because this is not going to be an approach that just covers the historical facts. In other words, if this is supposed to be a type of the Christian life, then there ought to be many, many, many applications for you and me in this life. And so here's what we're going to be learning. We're going to learn that God understands our human weakness. He understands our fears, our anxieties, our feelings of inadequacy. We all have them and God understands it. How to deal with that. We're going to talk about that. God has to prepare everyone that he uses. We're going to learn that. You understand that? Everyone he uses, whether it be to teach a Sunday school class or lead a growth group or to go talk to your neighbor, God will prepare you. And a lot of the things you're going through now is God preparing you. You just don't see it and you don't appreciate it. But it is. We're going to learn that God uses all types of people and that his grace abounds to everyone. Everyone. And he uses everybody. 
You look out at this congregation. There are so many different types of people. Different backgrounds, different personalities, different desires, likes and dislikes. And God uses every one of us. You think to yourself, how can he do that? Because he's God and he molds and shapes and redoes and rebuilds us. That's what the Christian life is about. It's not about you becoming like that person or that person becoming like me or vice versa. Christian life is about you and me going into the land of victory and becoming what God wants us to be individually. That's all it is. And the grace of God abounds to every one of us. God gives us security right in the middle of tragedy, right in the middle of a battle, right in the middle of defeat. God still says, hey, like you did just then, I'm, I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to be there for you. And you and I have to learn that. We're going to learn that God wants all people to be saved, and he continues to reach out to the lost until the day they die. God does. That's who God is. That's his nature. There's a difference between true faith and blind faith. We're going to talk about that. What is the difference between true faith and blind faith? We're going to learn that God honors those who honor Him. It's just that simple, folks. When I honor God, God says, I will honor you. Why are you not experiencing victory in your life? Well, maybe that's the reason. Because God says, I will honor you. I will lift you up when you honor me. I said, we all need to do some soul searching on that. We're going to learn that when the home breaks down spiritually, that you are literally just one generation from spiritual degradation. When your home breaks down, you have to be on top of this. You have to guard your home. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about this, that we need to create spiritual memorials in our lives. Spiritual things that... Remind us or display to people the victory that we've already experienced. God did this for me. I've got it written right here that on this date in my journal, God answered this prayer. That's a memorial. You need those things because there's going to come time in your life where you, you need to be reminded of that. I think sometimes we just forget. We're going to learn that we need to... I've already done that one. Let me move down. We're going to learn that God can even change your mistakes into something positive. Even your mistakes. Now, get this. God doesn't keep you from the mistakes. God takes the mess and changes it into good. It is a miraculous accomplishment. Only God can do it, but he doesn't. We're going to learn that true love for God is the essence of the Christian life. Love for God is what motivates us to live this life. It's not fear. It's not legalism. It's love for him. And when you understand what he's really done, you can't help but love him. And we're going to understand that doing the will of God involves choice. It always involves a choice. You have to choose to, to do what it is that God wants you to do. You have to choose to walk with him. That's your choice. And each one of us has to make it. Each one of us has to cross the Jordan. Do you understand the picture? We have to cross the Jordan. And that's what we're going to be doing in this series. We're going to be crossing over. And we're not going to ever go back. Okay? We're not looking back to Egypt anymore. We're moving forward. So that's what we're going to be doing in this series. I want to encourage you to be here. Okay? I know, like I said earlier, it may be difficult at times, but be here. I really want you to be a part of this. I want you to experience this with me. And let's go through this together. Okay? 
If you're here this morning and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, let me read you this verse. It'll appear up on the screen. It's John 6:47. It says, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. It's just that simple. God says to you and me that any one of us who recognizes that we're living in Egypt, that we're lost, and that we need help to get out of here, he says there's only one way out. To believe that I died on a cross for you and I will give you as a free gift eternal life. That's God's gift. There's no other way. Will you trust him? Will you do that? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes, okay? If there's one of you here this morning that doesn't know Christ as your Savior, this is your opportunity right here. Get out of Egypt. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and come out right now, right where you sit very simple. It's between you and God. Settle the issue. Just talk to God. Lord, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. He paid the price. And I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you right now. For all the rest of us, as we prepare to go into this series, may we make a fresh commitment right here before God that, Lord, I want to go into the land I want to experience the place of blessing. I'm willing to pay the price and fight the fight. But Lord, take me into the land. In Jesus' name, Lord, we ask this. Father, we come and we just ask that in your holy name, that Father, we would get so far away from Egypt, stop thinking about it, stop worrying about it, stop living with the guilt of it. The reproach is gone. Now, Father, take us into the land. Show us the blessings that are there for us to take. In Jesus' name.